On this edition of How I Got This Gig, illusionist Lucas Wilson is here. Dean, how did you decide to invite an illusionist into this podcast? Well, I thought he's a magician and he's got an interesting gig. I'd like to find out how did he ever get it and how does he keep it? You know, listening to this interview made me think how many parallels there are between an illusionist and their business uh, with ours. Well, just with about any business, actually, because Lucas definitely puts the business back into show business. Let's roll it. Welcome to How I Got This Gig. I'm your host, Dean Rainey. And I'm Berman Lamb. We are the Video Twins. Uh, this episode is brought to you by the Video Twins. This whole podcast is brought to you by the Video Twins. Which right? is quite an illusion it in is itself. It's quite an illusion. What is the Video <laughs> Twins all about, Berman? Video Twins are about bringing. What are we about? That's a good question. We're about helping people make better video. And if you know anybody who could help us make better audio, let us know because <laughs> we are. We've had a couple of takes on this one. We have, we have. But you know what? The reality is you stumped me a bit when you were talking about what are the video twins about? Because I think as we're going through this journey of these podcasts, I realized that we're helping more than just uh, uh, people in video. I think in general, we help people in their businesses, no matter what they are. I like to think so, yeah. yeah. And I like to think that there are a lot of uh, unusual or interesting jobs out there that kids might think they want to get into, and we want to pull back the curtain on that and, and show them that it can be done, and here's how some people did it. Yes, absolutely. I think there's a lot of parallels with all jobs. You can you can learn something from McDonald's and apply it. Like myself, I know I you do. McDonald's. You bring out a lot of lessons from your from, McDonald's From McDonald's, days. yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I still apply till this day, surprisingly. Yeah, I think your first job, your early jobs are really going to have a strong influence on sort of how you proceed through the rest of your career, I think. Yeah. And hey, with this interview, no difference. I actually learned a lot from this interview and a lot of parallels that I see with, uh, you know, being an illusionist and being what we do, which is which are video illusionists. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had a great time with Lucas here. He's very articulate and he's got lots to share and he... He really did it the right way, I guess I would say. He, you know, he he really got his ducks in a row there, and uh, he's strong with his marketing and with his plans and all kinds of things. So we get into some interesting topics here. We talk about you know treating your art or your performance like a business. Yep, absolutely. That's something that we do ourselves as well. That's right. You got to make money. You got to pay those bills, and uh, it's okay to be, you know, a visionary and to have ideas and be original and creative. But then sometimes. You've just got to do what it takes to get the job done and get the paycheck. Yes, I think it's very important. Like you said, it's a paycheck. It's a business. If we were to do it just for our own pleasure, we'd be shooting something or it's shooting other stuff that are very different from what we're doing right oh, now. Oh, totally. Right? Totally. But that's not realistic. No, absolutely. Well, if you make millions and, you know, a future film that suddenly blows up, then I guess it's realistic for you to... I guess. But man, is that ever hard work? Is that ever hard, hard work? And you're still at the mercy of so many other people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Uh, we also talk about the reality of reality shows. The reality of reality yeah, shows. Yeah, he shares about how he was on some talent shows and what it was really like. And uh, yeah, we know all about that because we've done, uh, I mean, I've, I produced a reality show before. And yeah, it is highly manufactured. Highly manufactured. I think people watching, like, don't be fooled. Like, everything you see out there, the characters that you see, I won't say individual, I'll say characters yeah. that are in reality shows 
are put there for a reason. That's not your everyday person. They're, they oh are highly God. entertaining individuals that they've hand-selected from a bunch of highly entertaining individuals. And they're amped up. They're amplified. They're almost caricatures. And with the editing and all of that, they really, they really soak out the drama there. Yeah, well, Lu- Lucas explains, like, uh, you know, they, they might have gotten in on their talent, but they didn't get ahead because they just... They weren't the characters that the producers were looking for. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and in, the, in the credits, you know, Lucas says, the credits say, yeah, producers are allowed to uh, overturn whatever the judges say. It's at the producer's discretion. So that means that they just are trying to make the most entertaining story that they can. The outcome is manufactured. It, totally manufactured. Yeah. No, no spoilers alerts there. <laughs> Not at all. And then, um, yeah, he talks, like you say, the parallels between you know, an illusionist business and other people's business, but he has the same challenges. He's got to come up with marketing. He's got to take care of employees. In this case, he's got Kelly who works with him. He's got to talk about budgeting. You know, what what can they afford as far as tricks and acts and stuff? You mean they they don't just go up on stage, disappear and reappear and that's it? Money starts flowing in? No, if they could, that would be a great act. They've got to do a little more than that. Yeah, the ultimate illusion. Yeah. I know there's not a lot of kids out there that want to be illusionists or magicians, but there are certainly a lot that want to be actors or musicians. And you can take what he's kind of done in his world and you can apply it to yours. He's got some really great tips in there. Well, this is a great one, so let's uh, get into it. But again, it's brought to you by the Video Twins. So visit us at videotwins.com. We've got a new course over there, Berman. Yeah, and there's no illusions whatsoever. There is no illusions. It is a real course. You can buy it. You can download it. You can go through it. You can graduate from it, and you will make better videos. This course is our seven steps to producing the perfect piece to camera. Absolutely. Steps that we use every time we step on to any production. Oh, absolutely. And if you're making videos for your business, if you're a coach, if you're a speaker or anything like that, you're teaching courses yourself, you're going to want to check out this course because it's going to show you how you can look professional and great on camera and how you can have more effective teaching, I guess is what I'm saying here. Yes. It's a course you should not miss. No, absolutely. And we're really proud of it. We had a lot of fun making it and you'll have fun watching it. We guarantee. I hope so. Yeah. All right, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to introduce to you illusionist Lucas Wilson. Lucas, welcome. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Yeah, I was really excited about getting you in because uh, you can talk uh, to the audience about sort of the performance aspect of what you do and making a career out of it. Yeah, which is it's just not... It's an unusual career, you know, it's a very niche, well, being a performer in general is a very hard thing to do, but yeah. then choosing a, being a magician illusionist on top of it, very niche market, uh, very weird market, and you know, in the hierarchy of performing arts, we're very, <laughs> we're very at the bottom, like, now, we're maybe just above miming, just a really, little bit. Really, just yeah. a little bit <laughs> above maybe, miming? Maybe, or been, no, I guess ventriloquism is making a comeback with I guess. Jeff Dunham right. and those they're people getting like big that. They're now. getting big. Why do you think that is? Because you guys have to take all kinds of different gigs or what, why I, Why do you feel that you're on the lower? Well, I mean, we're just, we're the odd guys, right? right. We're, we're odd people. Just in pe- uh, people in general have a, and it's interesting, have a weird uh, feeling about towards magicians or illusionists because they had, I find a lot of times people that don't like magicians are people that had a bad experience when they were a kid. 
they oh, have really? a magician come to their party. It's the same thing with clowns. We yeah, hate clowns, clowns right? Be... And it usually it goes back to something that happened when you were a kid, right? You're like a terrifying experience as a child. And sometimes uh, that's you know I hear from people like, oh, I hated magicians until I saw your show. And I was right. Like, but why? They're like, oh, something happened with me when I was a kid, and there was a magician at a party, and he was you know was a jerk whatever treating me terribly <laughs> and uh, you know there's some magicians that that's the performance style where they're just a jerk right and so uh that was my thing was trying to work very hard not to be that guy the nice guy be the, the nice, nice guy magician. be the fun guy right just the easy going and down to earth so how did you get into this i mean i can't believe that a guidance counselor sat down and said hey this is one of your options <laughs> yeah the guidance counselors they were like well what about this lucas what right. about this uh there is no like beautiful romantic story. Sure. It wasn't like my grandfather was in the circus and he passed this step. No, I just about every single magician has the exact same story. And it's, I got a magic kit when I was a kid and then I just kept on doing it. Or I saw a magic show when I was a kid and I just kept on doing it. And that's, that's, that's huge though, because I mean, I mean, my son has gotten yeah. magic kits. Yes. And he's seen your show and he said, okay, let's get that. The wand, let's do yeah. But he's never stuck with it. He's never. <laughs> I mean, that's what separates the people from just, you know, being interested in it. And then the people that actually go into it as a career. Yeah. Uh, because we all have a magic phase. I think every kid has a magic phase. Everyone that I've talked to, all my friends, oh yeah, I had that kit when I was a kid or that trick. Like, everyone knows like one or two tricks. Yeah. Uh, because it's fun. It's fun to know the secrets. It's fun to perform for people and to know something that they don't know sort of thing and amaze people. Uh, but then that's what separates people is most people grow out of that phase. They right. get over it. And then the people that don't get over it, you, you become a magician. That's what happens. And that's what <laughs> happened with me. I just never got over it. It was the thing that stuck with me the most because I went through all the other phases like, oh, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a doctor. I want to do you know all those different things. Uh, that you know, kids have when they're you know when you're a kid, totally. you dream. You know, I've been an astronaut, right? I'm gonna yeah. fly up and out of space. Uh, but the only thing that stuck was the being a magician, and so I just kind of followed that, and it was something I had a passion for. And uh, ultimately, when you're going to become or start your own business, it's something you have to be passionate about. Because especially in the performing arts, if you're not passionate about it, then it's never going to take off. Just really any business in general, if you, if you don't have passion for whatever you're selling. Uh, it's, it's never going to work. I mean, I guess that's the difference. I mean, a magician or an actor or something, an actor, you're maybe always waiting for other jobs, you're working for other people, but a magician, I guess, it's, it's your own show? It's your, Yeah, in it's a lot your, of cases, your own business. It's, it's, it's your own business, it's your own show, and you have to get those gigs. And in a lot of cases, uh, you know, I like, I don't have an agent or I don't work through a talent agency. Really? That was my next question for you. Yeah. I was like, really? You do all your own bookings? I do all my own bookings. Your own marketing? Yeah, everything. everything. I mean, there's a couple agencies that we're a part of. Sure. But I mean, unless you're out there knocking on doors, I mean, they're not going to work harder for you because you're just another name on a list. And right. so they're going down the list. And until saying, you break, huge. Until and you then break, like, yeah. oh, then they'll give and you And then they'll time. start knocking on the doors and yeah. suggesting you yeah. as a person. But until that happens, you're just a name on a list and they're just pulling the names or who's the cheapest or you know, who fits this the best. And being that I've decided to pick a very, you know, unique style and uh, performance, you know, my performance is more unique. I'm not a cookie cutter right. magician, right? I don't wear, you know, your little tuxedo, your little top hat, the bunny rabbits, <laughs> the dramatic music and the right. waving very arms. flamboyant movements. Yeah, all, all that, that stuff. Yeah. I just kind of was like, no, if I'm going to do this, I want to be myself. Yeah. And uh, there's people that have called me to try to mentor me and tell me like, you're never going to be successful if you're just yourself. Really? You have to stop doing this. This is not going to work. To which I was like, well, the reason why I'm doing this is because I liked being myself. And so if I'm not going to 
be myself as a performer, then why wouldn't I just go get another job that I'm miserable with? Because I'm going to be miserable doing something totally. that I'm not comfortable with. Right. So yeah, they, they said I should change my my entire look, change my outfit, what? change my hair, change my performance style, change the music, change my choreography, everything in order to be successful. Are these established older magicians? Yes, older these... magicians. And then people think uh, like agents in the industry that oh, are like, right. this is what's going to work for you. And I was like, so what you're suggesting is that I be like everybody else. Yes. You have to be able to fit into the what is popular. Right. And I was like, well, I'd rather work twice as hard and be myself. And I think that's also just a better message to tell people. Like, yeah. I understand you have to, you have to work uh, with what people want. And through the system. You through have the to, si yeah, you, know, you got a little bit. A little bit. You got to understand the rules before you break them. Yeah. Thing, but but uh, at the same time, you know, like I wanted, I, I didn't want to be somebody else. Yeah. And that was the thing I enjoyed about my, you know, performing was that I got to be myself. It's funny that you excited. say though, that you had to work twice as hard yeah. to do that. But I think the payoff is twice as big. Yeah, absolutely. If you break through and you've got it, because then now you've got an original template that almost other people can copy, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so at what point did you say, okay, you know, I'm really digging magic and I'm, you know, maybe I'm doing birthday parties as a teenager, I'm doing it for mm -hmm. the school. When did the point come where you decided I I'm going to make this a career? Well, yeah, all throughout high school, that was the obviously the easy job to have. I didn't like flip burgers or work right. at a restaurant or anything. I did birthday parties and yeah. stuff. And I even started my, my marketing plan in high school where I did uh, direct mail. You know, Gosh, I, you had a marketing plan? Yeah. You're an artist and you had you understood marketing? Well, like, yeah, even in high wow. school, I was like, the way we're going to get shows booked is if I contact uh, local schools. And what yeah. if I did like a school assembly, right? So uh, I created a little marketing or not a, oh, yeah, a sheet, like a flyer. And then I did direct mailing to all the schools in Norfolk County here. Right. And uh, said, you know, hire me and all the reasons of bullet points of why, you know, this is a good idea to have me come and sp uh, speak and perform at your school. And we booked a lot of shows doing that. Really? Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, you know, cost reward, it paid off. Yeah. The, and so, uh, which is funny because I'm going back again this year to doing more direct marketing, uh, trying to you know, take a page out of my original book there. But yeah, so I did some direct marketing. And so then I was like, this is working. This is good. But there's a but. Yep. Uh, you have to be realistic as well about life and such. And besides the magic, I also really liked technical theater and everything that goes on behind the scenes mm. at theater, right? You know, the lighting and the sound and the building of the sets and props. And so my parents did encourage me, besides just the magic, you should probably have a backup, something to fall onto. So they were with you a lot. They're 100%. They're 100% yeah. like, you know, uh, doing the magic and you know all my gifts were always magic tricks or magic books or dvds yeah. or you know oh well here's a certificate to go to the magic shop in toronto and you can buy something <laughs> so all my gifts were just building my show sort nice. of thing uh and uh but they were you know we want to be a little realistic why don't you get like an actual backup job and the thing that i liked was the uh, technical theater which in its own way is like the magic of theater like yes you see a show and you don't realize what's going on behind the scenes and i loved the behind the scenes stuff so i went to college then for theater arts technical production in oakville and it was a two-year course and i learned all the behind the scenes disciplines from you know lighting and sound and everything everything you need to know there was the seven disciplines and then i majored or i focused in on lighting carpentry and props Wow, those would totally help you. Right. You could get a job in the mainstream theater, but also... Also, that help a lot in the magic industry because, yeah. especially with me, I don't do the close-up tiny magic. I do the larger scale right. illusions and stuff. So being able to fix your own props because, you know, if you're doing hundreds of shows every single year, these props 
are going through hell and back, essentially, you know, all these different things. And so to be able to fix them or build them uh, is very helpful. And then also when you're going into a theater, to be able to speak the language that yes. technicians speak, not just like, I need those ones there turned on during the show, you know, <laughs> or I could ask for things that um, they're familiar with. I was like, do you have a magic sheet that I can have? And we can kind of build the cues. Right. And so when I started walking in and saying these things, you know, some theaters are like, oh, 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 okay. So I did that. And so after college, that's when you're at the crossroads. That's when it's the, do I go and get a job? Um, Lighthouse Theater, you know, right in town. Right. I was out of Sheridan. They were very willing to hire me on as a technician. And then there was the dark, scary path that was like doing magic full time. And I was like, well, if I'm going to, you know, I'm out of college, this is the time to take risks and go down that dark, scary path. So I said, no, thank you. You didn't even think I'll take D this job and no, I'll moonlight. No, 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 no. Hustle. I say no. because wow. because it's, you know, you got to give it all yeah. right. If you try to chase after two things, you're going to lose them both. Yeah. You know? So I was like, let me focus in on this. This has to be a full time job if I want it to be a full time job. And so the first year out of college, I, I worked really hard. I tried. I thought we had a really good show and I managed to book like 20 shows. Which, you know, not looking great after, you know, I was offered that full-time job. Right. That's uh, the year. 20, 20 shows for the year? 20 shows for the year. Yep. Yep. It was, you know, it was a rough year. Uh, but I learned a lot and I tried a lot of new things. And then it just kind of became that point where I sat down and I thought, what am I going to do? What is going to take me to the next level? And so when you're in a situation like that, I just went back. I went back to the giants that came before me. And I think about, it was like who's the most famous magician that we could think of? I was like, Houdini, right. Houdini, arguably, you know, I say to, that to a kid, they still know who he is. He's yep. been dead since 1926. Why is that? Well, besides, he's not the greatest like performer that's ever lived, perhaps. I don't know. I never really saw his show, uh, but greatest marketer. Yeah. I, I'd say the greatest marketer that ever lived right. when it comes to magic. I mean, and if you, one of his most iconic stunts was hanging upside, uh, upside down, in a straitjacket, uh, escaping in front of the local newspaper. Because the newspaper would come out when he was in town, take a picture, boom, front page news, all that publicity. And yeah. all he did was, you know, spend a few minutes upside down in a straitjacket. And I thought, well, what if I did that stunt? Kind of did like a publicity stunt, get lots of press, because right now my, you know, my marketing budget is not very large. No. And I'm just trying to get free press. And I think that was, that was my idea. It was like, that's the best way to get free press, is let's do a publicity stunt. Because, uh, you know, goes hand in hand with magic, straight jacket escapes. And that's when I started looking up straight jacket escapes, which led me to the, well, how long can I hang upside down for before I like fall, uh, you know, go unconscious or fall or something. And then I was like, well, if I'm thinking about time, what if I thought about Guinness world records time? Like how long do I have to be up there for? Could I break a Guinness world record? Hmm. And that's, that's the light bulb moment. That's when right. everything would change for me. Uh, because I decided, let's do the publicity stunt. I'll get out of the straitjacket, great. But I'll also try to break a Guinness World Record in the process. And that's when everything changed. Uh, it took a year from getting that light bulb moment to when I actually broke the record for the very first time of getting out of a straitjacket upside down, wrapped in 17 feet of chain. Yeah. Um, but after I broke that first Guinness World Record, all of a sudden, all those places that I had called the year before, you know, would you interested in booking my show? No, we're not really interested in your show. Are you interested in booking? No, we're not really interested in booking your show. No, thank you. No, th thank you. All those places were now calling me saying, hey, can we still book that, sh book that show that you offered us? And I was like, yeah, of, of, co of course. Did you see? Oh, we saw, we saw your thing. I was like, oh, the publicity stunt worked out. 
And uh, it took me about three or four months to realize it wasn't because they saw the stunt. It was because I had the record. Right. And I wasn't just Lucas Wilson anymore. I was Lucas Wilson, Guinness World Record holder. Right. And that's a big brand. That's a that's big brand. Huge. So uh, even if you don't know who Lucas Wilson is, 98% of people know what Guinness World Records is. Yes. And that was a light bulb moment. That's when we went from doing the 20 shows to up to 200 shows in a year. Wow. Like yeah. that quick over a year, maybe. It just was like, maybe. boom. Yeah. It, was, it exploded. It was nuts. And you've done quite a bit with Guinness, haven't you? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I now hold four official Guinness World Records, uh, making me Canada's only four-time Guinness another World record, record holding. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, which, uh, because I realized Guinness was a great marketing tool for me. Yeah. And they did a whole bunch of marketing for me. And uh, they had the brand and the recognition, and it was something that I could sell to people. If they were, well, we never heard of your show. Have you ever heard of Guinness World Records? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. we have the book at home. Of course. I go, well, Instant credibility. Instant credibility. Yeah. And so that was like my sneaky way. And it's funny because, again, I didn't do it to kind of get on the coattails of uh, Guinness World Records. I did it because I wanted to get out of a straitjacket upside down and escape because that was my stunt and then i realized it was less about the stunt it was more about the guinness world record yeah which i guess in turn was the stunt but uh it didn't i don't think it mattered what type of stunt i had done so long there was a guinness world record attached to it Christ. so that's kind of what it's kind of what exploded me yeah totally and then you i mean you were on dragon's den for that did dragon's well. den canada's got talent you were uh, on that as well yeah we did canada's got the first and only year of canada's got talent <laughs> that show didn't last it did not la it didn't even really tell me we ran out of talent uh, well we? i don't know well they <laughs> no that's not the case um they ran out of viewerships so, okay uh, that's, 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 that's what happened sense, yeah it went it went downhill um and uh, that's that was another thing that we discovered was reality television was something mm. that was a great marketing tool. And uh, the thing with reality television and going in and doing any of those like reality television shows is you have to be interesting. You have to have something that they want. And when I walked in and I said, oh, I'm a Guinness World Record holder. Oh, interesting. Because they're looking for the right. most interesting, weird, you know, out of the box type of entertainment. That and they can and get what's on the your show. story and how to tell it in the shortest time possible? Exactly. Because there's a hundred stories in that there's episode. There's a hundred stories in that episode. And uh, so they want you to do something flashy. Yeah. And so that was, that was the first thing we did was Canada's Got Talent. We went in there, we did the producer audition and uh, they were like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll let you know. And then they called me back and they said, give us a list of everything that you would do on the show. And I gave them a list of everything I would do on the show. And one of them was an upside down straitjacket escape. They're like, okay, you're going to do this one uh, first because that's the one that we want you to do. And then you're probably not going to do anything else after that. And I was like, <laughs> but like, don't the judges have something to do with this? They're like, oh, no, 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 no. no, no. no. Don't, don't worry about them. Don't worry about That's them. Just, just yeah. do this and do it really, really well. And I was like, okay, I, I'm understanding what you're saying now. And so, yeah, would you believe we, I did the straight jacket escape upside down, wrapped in 17 feet of chain on Canada's Got Town. All the judges said yes. They gave me a, like a five-minute piece, City TV prime time, which was nothing that I could afford, you know, advertising. Right. That's humongous. How much is that worth? And, you know, advertising dollars. Yeah. Uh, and a really good piece. And would you believe, uh, before I could get to the next round, they did the judges cuts and I just magically disappeared from the show. Oh, so I, I was like, interesting. Uh, but that was a whole other thing was then doing reality television is people, it was now as seen on TV. Yeah. And that gave, again, those phone calls came in saying, oh my gosh, we saw you on TV. Can we book you now? I was like, it's the same show. But this, <laughs> this weird fascination with the celebrity, I guess you could yeah. say, that people had was, it was, they were more interested in booking me now because of that. Were you able to raise your prices too? Absolutely. The yeah. price just kept on going up and, you know, uh, which was nice. Yes. You know, it was nice. And people saying, 
oh, well, that's a lot cheaper than we'd expect. Oh, okay, well, then we'll, we'll change that sort of thing uh, over the years and uh, slowly grown it until you get to that, that price point where you're really happy with it. And uh, so that's what we've done. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been incredible. And uh, after Canada's Got Talent, we got eliminated. We went to Dragon's Den, which yeah. was good because if we had continued on Canada's Got Talent, we would have been stuck in a contract with them. Yes, you got to would... be really careful. Had you have won, you probably would have lost a year of your oh, career. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that if we had con- gone any further in the competition, we, wouldn't, we weren't allowed to do any other television for a certain Ooh. amount of time. Yeah. And uh, about three weeks after Canada's Got Talent aired, we went and filmed, or we went and auditioned and filmed Dragon's Den. So if we had gotten further in the competition, we would probably never would have done Dragon's Den, which was a whole other thing that just exploded. Yes. Uh, my I think career. that got more press than the Canada's Got Talent. Absolutely, because I still get, people still call me, or uh, we'll be doing a show, and people come up after the show, and they say, you look awfully familiar. <laughs> And I was like, I'd like the TV show Dragon's Den. Oh, I love that show. I was, I was on that. They're like, oh, were you the guy in the straitjacket upside down? That's me. Yeah. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember. I watched that. It was, oh, that was such a good episode. <laughs> so, yeah, we still get recognized. And it opened up a whole other um, revenue stream for us because now it wasn't just my magic shows. People were calling and asking about the business side of magic. Oh. And uh, so I started doing uh, speaking engagement at schools, like high schools, about uh being an entrepreneur and how that was a viable career option. If yes. you had a, uh, if you had a business that you're passionate about, uh, you could turn that or something you're passionate about, turn that into a business. So we, sp- I don't even know how many high schools I've spoken at now, but we've traveled across Ontario. Uh, just, uh, last year we went all the way up to Thunder Bay to speak at a, uh, a school up there, um, to students about, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. Man, that is, that's an, awesome topic for kids i mean because there are so many kids that want to be musicians or Mm -hmm. actors or whatever but they just approach it from the wrong uh direction and they also don't realize the uphill battle that it is and that if you don't treat it like trying to be a celebrity but you treat it like trying to be an entrepreneur absolutely you can totally read i don't know you just blow my mind i think (laughs) i mean that is a very important uh message to get out to young kids that are considering well yeah and and you know that was something that it's it's show business yes 50 of the word is forget about that and a lot of people think it's just the show when the show is the easy part that's the that's the tiny little tiny part of it you know you don't see the the rehearsals leading up to it the phone calls the direct mailing the emails the bookings the the advertising contracts the contracts all these little tiny things that uh, don't really um people don't really realize go on behind the scenes they think you just show up and do the show which right. is that's the easy part or you trust somebody else with your money you show up and do the show and then show, yeah. five <laughs> years later you realize all that money's gone all that money's gone <laughs> <laughs> now there, you say we there are two of you kelly is you your assistant yeah she kelly with you. yeah she's been working with me and uh poor kelly she signed on for one show really she signed on for one show back in high school because uh, uh, I was like, hey, you want to be my magic partner assistant? I was like, we're doing this show for the high school at the end of the year. Were you guys in drama class We were in drama class together. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's, it's a very cookie cutter kind of story. But yeah, we were in uh, drama class together. And I said, hey, do you want to be my magic assistant? And she's like, yeah. I was like, it's just for like this year end show that I'm doing, <laughs> raise money for the drama department. She's like, yeah, of course, I'll help you. And uh, then she's just never left. And I've never uh, let her go. Sort of right. Thing, right? <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's been amazing. And to have somebody, because she went to George Brown College in Toronto for acting. And so to have that mind as well work on our show, yeah. uh, we have the technical mind, which is mine. And then we have, you know, the drama acting side mind, which is hers. And you bring those two together, you know, it's a perfect storm. 
because you get the technical side yeah. and you get the acting side because you know usually technicians don't know anything about acting and actors don't know anything about technicians sort of thing but this is a way that we can bring things together and uh, have a really creative eye and uh, build uh, some really unique routines and uh, different patter and stories that we try to build into our show and yeah she's just been awesome and tra we've traveled the world now because of this was there any pressure in the early days or like to get her gigs too and like you've got to go in there and you've got to kind of make money for both of you well yeah yeah because you know you want to be able to you know it's not a, it's not just a favor you know I'm, I'm gonna pay you to be a part right. of this because you're part of this business right you're you're up there on the stage with me and so yeah it's uh trying to make sure that and also that she got uh, the recognition and respect because a lot of people it's Lucas and his assistant right no it's Lucas and Kelly because it's a it's a partnership it's a it's a duo and even within the show itself in the past few years we've tried to add in routines that Kelly can perform on her own and really because you know people say oh I'm the illusionist and she's the assistant no we're both illusionists like we both do the magic equally together I noticed that the, the last time I saw you guys I think it was at Pumpkin Fest where she had a whole she has a bit whole. That she was doing she has a whole there. bit, yeah. Um, because she's such a great actress, and I was like, "Why isn't she doing more right. on the show?" Like, this is something. So we slowly build it up uh, because performing magic's different than doing like a monologue or something. And so it's about um, you know being in front of an audience by yourself performing a routine was a little more nerve wracking for her at the first time. So we slowly started to build it up and change routines and make them unique to her and find to kind of find her character on stage as well. Does she Which give you tips too, like for your performance? Absolutely. Like, hey, try this little technique. Try this, try that. Yeah. Um, hold that there. Yeah, it's a very, it's a partnership. So, you know, bounce ideas off of each other and build routines and, oh, I love this idea. Oh, I don't like that idea. I think that's stupid. Or let's try it because we, we can both love an idea and then put it in front of an audience and they, they don't <laughs> like it at all. Yeah. Which is ultimately, you know, the, the third judge in our, uh, when we decide a trick or a routine, you know, what does the audience say? And we've put together some stuff that we think is absolutely brilliant and we love it and we're laughing at it. Take it in front of an audience, crickets. And we're like, wow. Okay, well, well, we'll try it on a couple more audiences and then we pull it from the show. <laughs> because, you know, if the audience doesn't like it, it doesn't matter. And it's the same thing uh, with tricks that we don't like. There's tricks on the show that maybe we're not the biggest fan of or we, or when I was a kid and I saw the trick, I didn't like it. I thought it was super obvious. But you perform it in front of the audience and they go nuts for it and you go, okay, I'll, I'll do it. If you keep laughing and applauding and gasping, We'll do it. You got to play the hits. You got to right? play the hits, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you never grew up with sort of a mentor uh, to, to help you guide you through this? Was it all just sort of you, you researched your own stuff, maybe with working with your parents to figure things out? Because I know your dad does go to shows and stuff. Oh, yeah. My dad, I mean, my dad, uh, although never did any magic in his life or anything like that, he, he's been there all along the way because yep. he's, he's very hands on with it and helping and uh, he's the guy I bounce ideas off first. You know, I go, to, oh, I got this idea. We should try this or try that. Um, and so, yeah, when it comes to like an actual mentor, uh, there was no like magicians really. I mean, I did some magic lessons when I was a kid with a magician, but nobody that was like here. Did you, like, did you have to go to the city for that? Uh, it was it was in Tilsonburg actually. Oh, really? So yeah, I went all the way to the great big city of <laughs> Tilsonburg and I did some magic lessons with a magician there, you know, just an old retired guy in his house that would, you know, do yeah. a couple tricks, show some videos and just chit chat about the the industry sort of thing. Uh, but other than that, there was there was nothing really. Everything's kind of been self-taught. Again, books, DVDs, you read things, uh, you watch people to inspire you. 
and uh, a lot of inspiration obviously growing up for me was like David Copperfield that was yeah. that's the guy that I kind of looked up to and then um, more recently I find inspiration in other shows and other people and other forms of entertainment like I love watching Jimmy Fallon I like his like very um, friendly kind of humor very it's very soft and friendly and then you know I go to a concert I love the band Coldplay I find inspiration through their music and then I go to their concert and it's just this amazing energy with that's colorful and it's bright and there's confetti and laser beams and all these things that light up and I'm like this is amazing this is the feeling uh you know if we you know as we grow that I want to give to people when they come to our show I want them leaving feeling like this and so um those are the things where I found like inspiration but no there was no like definite i can't give you a name like this person took me under their wing and mentored me as uh, when i was growing up no everything was kind of just self-taught which is why i think maybe our performance style is so original is because we weren't taking from other people we weren't performing like them we were just doing our own thing which is again maybe why those people are like well you're not like everybody else and you're never gonna succeed so uh yeah that's that's kind of how everything came to be gee that's that's great um when you talk about um, developing your own tricks in that and your act, do you own those? Do you is there any way to protect those tricks that you do come up with, or no? You kind of do them and you show them, and that's about it. There's no. The magic industry is really, really interesting when it comes to those things. Um, certain magic tricks or illusions are created by certain creators, yeah, and then they are built by certain builders. Uh, but there's no way to protect it. There's no copyrights on this. It's all intellectual, intellectual cop, uh, property. So there's no real way to protect it. Super easy. So there's a, you have to be very careful uh, when purchasing illusions, especially when you're starting out, because you have to buy from the reputable builders, not just buying a knockoff. Uh, mm. Because that's very, very, very frowned upon. I'm happy to say that all of ours are. We have no knockoffs or anything <laughs> like that, and anything that. Like, be careful, that box is made in China. Exactly, that's what, like, that's what just, it comes down to. You may not down. get out of that. <laughs> I, right? That's what it comes down to. And um, you pay rights to perform certain illusions. Ah, right. There's rights on them. Uh, again, it's it's not by law. It's kind of just this, again, magic's very much when it comes to having an oath, just like you don't give away magic secrets. There's an oath for that. And there's just kind of like this oath, like, I'm not going to, you know, without your permission, I'm not going to perform this trick or use this pattern. Or even in the, the early 90s, there was this great debate over the way a cloth was thrown during a trick. Really? Yeah, yeah. There it had a name and everything. It was called the hourglass move, and it was a way you would um, you were doing a metamorphosis trick where you switch places in a box, and the way you gathered a cloth and threw it away after you had done your switch, because one person would stay on top of the box, one person would be in the box, and then a switch happened, and you were covering it with a cloth. And a certain way that you tossed the cloth was kind of developed by one person, and uh, there was a great debate about well, can we use that? That's just the way you throw a cloth. And then it was like, well, no, because that's his way of throwing the cloth. You can't throw the cloth that way. And um, and then David Copperfield saw it and was like, well, I want to throw the cloth that way. So then he had to go to the original guy and ask permission to be able to throw the cloth away that way. Again, wow. it's all for just throwing a darn cloth. Right. But that's how nitpicky that it gets and how careful you have to be. So when we create... Our and, illusions. And how nuanced the performance yeah. is yeah. that everything, it might just look like a it looks thing. It, again, it, you're just tossing a cloth to the side. <laughs> all right. That's all it is, is you're tossing a cloth to the side. Uh, but it's done in such a way that, uh, you know, everyone wanted to copy that because yeah. it was, you know, there was there were benefits to it. Uh, so same thing with every other illusion and like aspects to certain illusions is there are reputable builders that you have to go to and then you have to ask rights and certain illusions you just can't perform. 
because they're not out there. Somebody yeah. has created it and it's theirs. If you copy it, you're a copycat and that's super gross and I'd never recommend that. And then uh, with our shows, what we did is we uh, we try to create things that we do um, that nobody else does. And uh, there's no way to protect it. You just kind of have to keep your fingers crossed and do it really, really well. Yeah. And uh, also be the first one to do it and then get it published. Because then the problem is with these ideas is there's no way of protecting them. Uh, is people say, well, I created that 10 years ago. And no, no, no. Well, I did it 18 years ago. Well, I did it first. And so sometimes it's about presenting a routine and then making sure the newspaper or whatever you're having it published in or, your, you know, the newspaper article or TV show is that it's published and it's dated. So you can say, right. well, no, I started doing it on this date. Look at this newspaper article. Here's my presentation, blah, 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 blah. So then, you you know, say, well, this is when I started doing it. So if somebody does copy you down the line, you can have kind of like a paper trail saying, no, I started performing it this way in this date listed here. Ah, so yeah, it's, it's tricky, a, it's a weird, stuff. strange, unusual industry. <laughs> and it kind of polices itself. It, it polices itself. That, yeah. 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 There's, there's nothing on the outside. It's just, uh, uh, policing of itself and calling people out, yeah, which happens a lot. Is uh, the online sort of world amplified that as well? That, oh yeah, the online I mean, world has, uh, you know, it's big, big uh, game changer when it comes yeah. to that sort of stuff and the the online magic police. <laughs> so uh, don't post anything online if you uh, are doing anything that's a little shady or, um, you know, people post their performances on YouTube that are copying somebody else. And then one magician finds that posted on like a magic forum. They're like, look what this guy's doing. He's copying. And then he can share it with the actual magician. So it's, it's, it's a scary, scary world. Now you don't have an agent. Do you belong to a union, a performance, a performers union or, or anything or no? I, I mean, the closest up. thing that I uh, belong to is I'm part of the Canadian association of magicians. Okay. Which is just, you know, an association of magicians, you know, we got our monthly or uh, semi-monthly uh, newsletter and there's a convention each year. But you don't pay dues in the traditional way and you, you don't you, get you, gigs that... Uh, you don't get gigs, you, you pay your dues, so okay. you get your little button and right. your little, uh, you know, membership card and that pays for your magazine that you get sort of thing. Uh, but my, it was my father that told me to do that. I've been part of it since I was seven or eight years old. Oh, wow. Because my father was like, well, if you're going to do this, you got to be a part of the association. When you're going to be that, that means you're a real magician. And, and do you get involved with their activities in that? Or do you just, because you're out here in the country? I'm out here in the country kind of doing yeah. my own thing. And uh, I, m magicians don't seem to get along with me as much as they used to. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I'm, just really? they're the, I, I'm the first person that go, those magicians, that, they're a weird group of people. <laughs> they're really weird. Yeah. My poor girlfriend, she's like, magicians, like, those are the magicians. Like, when we meet other magicians, she goes, they're kind of weird, aren't they? Like, they're like the people they're, that if you meet them outside of a, of a performance, yeah. they still might be wearing a cape. <laughs> they still might be wearing a cape, <laughs> right? Like, right? Because she's like, those guys are really weird. I was like, I'm a magician. She goes, yeah, but you're not as weird as they are. Like, you're weird. But, like, they're a whole other, you know, weird. I was like, right. oh, thank you, I, I think. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, do you feel part of the community, though? Oh, absolutely. I still feel like uh, I'm, I'm part of that, you know, very unique uh, community and industry. And it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to be, uh, you know, considered amongst all these uh, crazy, weird people. I like it. Now, how old are you now? Can I ask? 28 years old. 28 years old. And, you know, you've had a, a pretty successful climb there. You've so far, so good. grown and grown. How do you feel about, like, does anybody say, any magicians of these weird magicians say, <laughs> you haven't paid your dues 
Lucas Wilson. You no. have struggled. No, everybody's no, pretty. I, everyone's uh, it's pretty chill and pretty cool. And uh, most recently, I've met some really, really cool guys that are are um, really down to earth. And you know, we get to ch- uh, chat about the industry and uh, talk about you know uh, what's struggling and what's good and you know what's bad uh, and everything. But uh, no, they've they've been they've been pretty good to me. <laughs> That's great. How do you think the industry has changed? Uh, the, the online it's, it's online. That's what's changed. Everything is that, um, magic is viewed online so easily now. Yeah. And uh, with online and video, just video in general, when it comes to magic is there was always that camera tricks, camera tricks, camera tricks, camera tricks, camera tricks. And now it's even less of necessarily, uh, camera tricks, but fake reactions, fake reactions, fake reactions, mm-hmm. fake reactions. And, uh, the magic community is, you know, talking about these YouTube magicians that perform a trick or create a routine that can only be done for a camera because of the angles and well, the... like Zach King or something. Exactly, yeah, right? Yeah. I and mean, that stuff's great. My kids love it, but yeah. it's like, yeah, it's, it's like it's either a, CG or it's, a it's all angle. it's all camera it's, tricks. Yeah. And then you know, you see those viral videos on like Facebook or something. They get like you know, 30, 40 million views of these guys doing these uh, tricks in front of people, and the people freak out and run away. Well, that's because if you see the extended version of that video before they freak out and run away, he goes, okay, so after I do this, you're all going to scream and run away. And then when you go and you actually perform for people and they don't do that, they're like, oh, he's not as good as that guy on the internet. Like, did you see the way those people reacted? Like, that was amazing. Right. And and they're just, you know, performing in such a way. Like, you see some of those tricks and I go, well, if you're standing behind him, you know how that trick's done. But yet those people are reacting exactly the same. And so what the problem becomes is people then... Uh, expect that in real life are those kind of um that kind of setup they expect it to be exactly the same and, it, and it's it's not and uh with you know you can quickly um that's never happened to me but people have <laughs> said during their shows people have been googling how the trick is done oh really and then like yelling well have you done this and you've done that and they're like in the middle of the show <laughs> i was like that is so uh it's uh it's interesting the uh, what online is doing or you can do what David Copperfield did and he's taken and used that to his advantage and he's using all the technology now in his show. Like he sends you an email during the show with a prediction in it that you're not supposed to open until the end of the show. And then at the end of the show, there's a, there's a photograph in your email of um, something that happened at the beginning of the show sort of thing or uh, all the stuff that happened throughout the show. But the right. email was sent to you before everything started. So it's, 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 very, mm. it's very magical. He's using technology to help and improve his show, which is... Uh, Real neat. How do you use technology and uh, online? Like, uh, do you do videos and stuff like that? It's, it's we, do, kind of... we do videos here and there. Yeah. Um, but I find if you try to do that, then that, that's a whole other job. As yeah. you know, but creating videos yeah. and good quality and stuff like that, that's a whole other job. And if you want to do a quick Facebook video, you know, by the time you get some lighting, a camera, you add a mic, and then you got to take that in, you got to edit it all, you color correct, and yeah. then add in text and graphics and render. And then, oh, don't forget to add your captions in. You got to write out all your captions. <laughs> by the time you do that, that's taking you like two days if you're just, you know, Joe Blow like me and you're just the only, the only, uh, you know, experience you have is from YouTube videos teaching you how to do this. Right. Uh, which is great because now you can learn anything from Google and YouTube or in, in most cases or, you know, you can get a kind of a brief knowledge so it's not just a, you know, a cell phone video where it's all sloppy and gross like that. Uh, we, do a, we do a little bit of video like that online though and, uh, you know. But you've to... decided not to feed that beast because I, I not, view kind not, of as a beast... To... 
to just like concentrate on your live performances. Concentrate on those. Yeah. Uh, mainly the videos that we're posting online is just to advertise the live shows. Yeah. And so when we do that, we try to create like a good quality video. So, you know. Yeah, they maybe... look good. I've seen your stuff. Thank yeah, you. Like, Thank you. Really nice. Try to make people uh, watch it and get their attention and uh, to get them to come and see the show because that's that's our bread and butter is people coming and watching our shows. And I don't want to be uh, what they call a YouTube magician sort right. of thing. That's not really I got into it for. And it's not my performance style. Again, I liked the bigger stuff. And most of the performances that you see on YouTube or Facebook and stuff like that are of close-up magic. Right. And uh, I faced out my close-up magic stuff a very long time ago because, uh, again, I didn't want to chase after two things. I was like, I can be you know, mediocre at two things, or I can be really good at one thing. And that's what I decided to do was just focus primarily on stage. And then just sit. cause I was, I was, I was okay at close up magic, but it was nothing, nothing special. And I'll be the first to admit that. And so I just took that service uh, off the website, no longer offered it. And then people that wanted to book that, I just say, no, I can't do that. And try to convince them to do something else or just uh, refer them to someone, some other magician that'll do walk around magic. Now, when you put together a show, uh, do you have uh, bits that you put together like a set list or, mm -hmm. or is each show kind of already set from beginning, middle to end? How do you do a show? Is well, being each uh, performance venue is so unique yeah. in a lot of cases, we kind of look at where are we going to a school, are we going to a theater, a uh, corporate event and a banquet hall or what's that? And so then you just pull... Um, from, you know, all the different tricks that we have. And we say, you know, there's certain things that we know will go on the show. Like 99% of the time, our show will end with uh, me getting out of a straitjacket. Whether I'm in a box or not, that's, you know, debatable. But there's a straitjacket escape in People want to see that. People want to see it, you know. Leading up to it, the Guinness World Record holds. Guinness World Record, they want to see me get out of a yeah. straitjacket. I can, I can do that. So I, I please the people <laughs> in that way. Uh, and then the rest is kind of just, um, yeah, really depends on... And again, the audience as well and, and uh, the venue that we're at. And in most cases, what we do is we create a show that we're really comfortable with. And then we just kind of repeat it over and over again in the season. So like when we're doing uh, corporate Christmas parties or holiday parties or whatever, uh, it's technically the same show because most of the venues are the same setup. Yeah. And then when we're doing school shows, we have a show that's kind of set into place because we'll be doing a whole bunch of school shows, you know, over and over again. And same thing with fairs and festivals we know what the setup will be very similar. And so we just, so the show might change with a couple of tricks with each season, but primarily it's the same show um, for a couple months at a time. Have you ever had a nightmare show? Oh boy. How long do you have? Right? Like <laughs> I think we all have we those. All have them? We all have those nightmare stories or the, the working with nightmare people or the what just happened situation. <laughs> and, uh, I, Oh my goodness. Most recently, this I think this was my favorite. I was performing at a, a very expensive uh, gala dinner. Ooh. Very expensive. Like I think it was like 150 a head or something yeah. per table. So I was like, that's expensive enough. I mean, it's not the most expensive, but that's expensive per head to be at a gala event. And uh, the, the, the people that were putting on it hired me, and then they were at a venue that they had rented out. And the people at the venue were uh, not very accommodating or helpful to me oh. at all. Yeah, they, they had no interest in helping me. Uh, and then I think <laughs> the moment that I was like, what is this setup, was the lady that was uh, a, apparently an event planner. <laughs> quote, unquote. Okay. Quote, unquote. Uh, based on how she ran the event, I 
say that was not so truthful. She must, you know, she does it in her spare time, probably as a favor as a, to a friend she was doing this. Uh, but she was, because they were talking about, we don't have any fancy lighting here because it's just a banquet hall, right? And I was like, oh, we don't need any fancy lighting. Like, this is fine for me. She goes, well, no, I've got this fancy setup for our podium. So they had a podium where everyone would come up and speak. And her fancy lighting for the podium, I was like, what are you going to do? Is she had gone to the dollar store and she had bought LED flashlights and she had zip tied them to <laughs> some like tripods that went up and then she put them on either side. So flashlights zip tied to just two stands wow. on either side of this. And that was their fancy lighting. And again, that's fine. That's cute, whatever. But this is at supposedly a fancy gala and uh, $150 a head. And I was just like, this is, this is something else. Uh, luckily, the show wasn't uh, too, too crazy. But uh, when, it, when it comes to actual show disasters, I mean, we've, um, during a very important illusion, uh, Kelly and I uh, both fell and uh, got injured and completely revealed an illusion. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, it was bad to the bone. And uh, the sad part is, is the music played on. <laughs> and so, like, and the audience is just like, what, what, what is, what is this? What are you supposed, and so then, in most cases, if something goes wrong during a show, we have outs built in, you know, mm. you have something, you have, a, you have a plan, or you just act like it's normal, because yeah. the audience doesn't know what's supposed to happen. So if you just play it off and you just keep going and act calm, don't panic, don't freak out, because that gives it away. If you just get just keep going people don't care right if you right. don't care about it people don't care about it but there was no getting out of this and so i remember a technician ran up onto the stage and she's like you and we're just both like laying there covered <laughs> in a cloth and i was like please tell me i'm dreaming kelly please tell me this is a dream she goes it's not and then i <laughs> this technician uncovering us from this cloth that we were both tangled in now and he goes you need you guys need to get up and say something <laughs> And I was like, what? He goes, just tell them you're okay. Cause that looked really bad. I was like, okay. And so we, we got up we uh, went over there. I was like, well, that's never happened before. Uh, we're, we're okay. And we're going to continue on. And then we, we finished the show because of course, naturally it was the very first thing in the show. Oh, it was, it was the very first thing in the show. And so that was embarrassing. And then the hardest thing to do was then the next show. Cause we were at a fair. The next show was getting up and doing that trick again. Because your confidence was just probably just, shot. Oh, it was oh, terrible. Man. And even to this day, when we do that trick, there's there's a little bit of an extra heartbeat every once in a while. You're like, mm, don't fall. So after you messed up that first trick, did you feel like, oh my gosh, this is going to be hard to get them back? But then you, you probably just got them back. You right? just you got just... them back. I think for the most part, people were just confused. Yeah. People didn't understand. Like, is this part? Of... And of course, it was the first thing right off the bat. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't go we messed up that trick right. that wasn't supposed to happen we just said oh that's never happened before we've done that trick a lot and that's never happened but we're both okay and we're going to continue on <laughs> so i think most of them were just like what 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 right. what just right. happened uh and then by the end of the show they had forgotten about it hopefully yeah <laughs> so yeah that was like the big big mess up that uh we we always talk about and remember and go remember that time don't oh, remind man. me i think kelly still has a scar somewhere on her ankle oh really it was well. that bad yeah she has a little scar just... and a little did the entire show we went to paramedics after that because there was paramedics at the fair it was oh, very right. very dramatic <laughs> um and uh we honestly we, we've tried to reconstruct what happened there uh we we don't know what really happened what went wrong it's a mystery it is a mystery uh and that was also around that time where 
Kelly was having fainting spells uh, from because uh, she had a hole in her heart. She discovered oh, wow. um, just a few years ago she had a hole in her heart she had since birth. And so that was causing her to be dizzy often and short of breath and she had been fainting so we didn't know it was like did you pass out for a split second or something and then because of that there was a chain reaction that happened so we don't know what uh happened and probably never will but do you record your shows we do we uh, we often do but that one we did not naturally because you know when you're at a when you're at a a fair festival you're doing three shows a day over a weekend so you're doing nine shows in a weekend yeah you don't need all nine shows recorded you know if you're doing a bigger show or when we're introducing a new illusion we record it so we can watch it back see how it looked how it played but this is something we had done hundreds and hundreds of times so it was just you know another easy peasy show for us with a fun little surprise at the beginning oh gosh do you find a lot of venues uh are surprised when you show up maybe they don't know how to accommodate you or is everybody it's pretty standard yeah oh no we uh we shock people because uh they hire a magic show and they think you're just going to come in and do some card tricks and then we bring in all of our equipment and like right. what, 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 what? Have huge props you we have, have huge boxes props with boxes and <laughs> tables and all that and so yeah sometimes we we shock uh venues and they're like uh what is, what is, what is this what is that and that's why it's so important on the business side of it is now been working very very hard in the recent years to educate before we go into a venue or have them educate us about what the venue is or is not so that we can bring the appropriate routines because we can scale down the show uh when uh you know we bring the right stuff that way it's easier in some of these uh, venues and we've had to do that because sometimes then there's certain things where the you didn't even think about that it's like how tall is the ceiling well what's the floor to ceiling if we're like just in a a room doing something for a corporate parties floor to ceiling height is very very important in our show right uh because we put poles into this one this one illusion that's not that tall the illusion's no taller than me but we put poles in through the top of it and when you do that it creates a 10 foot height so now every room that we're in has to be at least 10 feet tall or this the from the deck to the ceiling sometimes has to be 10 feet tall and when you're going into these smaller community centers that are sometimes older, they're a little tiny, you know, Lions Club stage or whatever, or Legion stage. There's not 10 feet from deck to ceiling. So then you're like, well, we're, I guess we're not doing that trick tonight. Yeah. Right. So I guess there's a lot of things that you yourself have to, to deal with because, you know, you don't have an agent, you don't have a manager. So you've got to deal with the venues, mm-hmm. understanding the show, understanding their venue, accounting, all that stuff, taking care of everything. It's, it's everything. And again, that's why... It's more about being an entrepreneur yeah. at this point in time than just being a magician. Now, why have you stayed in Norfolk County? That's the same small community that I'm now based in again, too. Why have you decided to not head off to the big city, to go to New York, L.A., something like that? Uh, I'm very comfortable here. Yeah. I, think that, I think that's a big thing that comes, uh, what it comes down to. I'm very comfortable. And the community's been very welcoming of me. Because it's a very weird thing that I'm doing. And it'd be very easy for people to be like, oh, that's kind of strange. What are you doing? But the community's just been so welcoming and inviting. I mean, they put up signs as you drive into my town, yes. Port Dover, saying, home of the illusionist Lucas Wilson. I mean, that's crazy. And if I was living in Toronto, that would never happen. Right. So uh, I guess it's because I'm, I'm comfortable here. It is. I guess you could say it's also safe for me to be here sort of thing. And, uh, and you know, overhead is less for running a business in this area. And uh, I still get a lot of work in this area. Yeah, that's what I, they really do uh, support you. Yeah, they, they book you they a really lot. Do. And that doesn't always happen, especially in our Canadian way in entertainment. Mm-hmm. We tend to not think somebody's a success until they've moved to Toronto, yeah. or to, especially they've moved to the U.S. Oh, now you're really a performer. Yes. But you know, you've had a great 
sort of history with the community here, you're still doing shows. I'm still doing shows right and here. You'll be doing a big show, and then you'll be back for Pumpkin Fest. Exactly, and it's great. Yeah, I'll be you know I'll be traveling all over the place. Uh, when I did uh, the Lynn River Music and Arts Festival the one year, I was there on the Saturday and on the Monday. And on the Sunday, I had flown to Amherst, Nova Scotia, yeah. performed at Houdini Day, and then flew back to do the shows. And uh, that gig came in afterwards. And I said to the Lynn River Music and Arts Festival, I was like, can we make this work? Or do I have to turn them down? And I said, oh, no, you go do that. We'll make it work. <laughs> and so, you know, some places would be like, absolutely not. Right. We booked you first. That's what, yes. But no, being, you know... Um, I'm from the community and they, they want to help and uh, create that success story. Uh, they're very accommodating. And, uh, you know, so yeah, I get to do these crazy wild things and then come back home and perform. And you know, there's no better audience than the audiences in this area because you, you, you get that feeling of being at home and it's very welcoming and people are excited to see you, uh, which is always lovely. Um, although, you know, it also the double-edged sword performing in this area and pitching in this area because then there's certain groups in this area that say, well, you're too well known. No one's going to come and watch your show. They've already seen your show, mm. which I found the opposite has happened. Yeah, I, I don't people... think I've been to an empty show of yours around here. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's what I try to pitch to these people. Uh, so I think that's just their polite way of saying, no, thank you. We don't want your show. I think that, I mean, your audience is for a lot of what I see is for kids. Yeah. And it just resonates so well with them. And kids aren't picky. No, they're not picky. They're not. They want to see that again. Maybe I, figure, right? figure it out. That's Can the I great thing it? about a magic show is if you watch it for a second time, that gives you a second chance to yeah. try to figure it out. And uh, people have favorite tricks in the show and they, they want to see it again. They want to be a part of it. And if you went with that analogy that if you, the people have seen it once, they don't want to see it again, then people wouldn't buy DVDs or buy books or anything like that, right? Or go to see the, the Eagles or the Rolling Stones. Right. I don't want to hear that song again. I don't again. want to hear that song again, right? <laughs> they so do, they do. It's a, it's a, it's a strange uh, kind of idea that they have, but uh, I think it's just a, their polite way of saying, no, thank you. We don't want to hire you. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Which I'd accept as well. <laughs> You're pretty good. You're pretty good. You don't take it too personal. No, you can't. You I can't. think you're. You got a really good, easygoing, optimistic attitude for an actor mm-hmm. or a performer. I'd say not an actor, but performer, because sometimes you know their performers can be get filled with self doubt. They have to deal with a lot of rejection, mm-hmm. and if they can't handle it well, then they don't persevere and they they, they don't make it exactly. You've done really well with that. Congratulations, I Thank guess, you. just for keeping it keeping it together. Thank you. My grandma taught me at a very young age, the worst thing that somebody can say to you is no, and that's just a two-letter word. And uh, it, was, it was all because we were shopping at like a Sears outlet. Yeah. Sears outlet. So that, that dates the story right there. And uh, there was a really long lineup at a cashier, and it was like the only cashier that was open. And then there was another lady at another cashier station uh, with nobody there, and she was like fiddling around or whatever. And my grandma goes, oh, we'll go over to that cashier. Uh, there's nobody there and i go grandma we, we we can't go over there and she's like why not and apparently the little brat that i was <laughs> was like grandma her light is not on if her light's not on she's not open we can't go to her this lady's lights on we have to stay here and the line was very long my grandma goes well, what are you scared of we're gonna walk over there we'll ask her and the worst thing she's gonna say is no it's just two letters let's go ask her so i went and protest with her and uh went up to the lady are you open can we can we check out with you and the lady goes oh yeah of course. Sorry. Didn't turn my light on. <laughs> there you go. And so, yeah. You never know unless you, you know, ask. Unless you ask. So, yeah. then that's kind of what I've taken with it, uh, taken with me as I've moved on with this career and through this career is that, uh, you know, we send out lots of emails. There's tons of rejection with this sort of thing. As you send emails, you make phone calls. I've had a local, local, I don't, I can't, I don't know how to say it, in this area where I called them and I was asking for help. 
I needed their help. I needed volunteers for a Guinness World Record attempt. I just needed volunteers. And somebody had recommended to me to call this place just to ask for help. And they hung up on me. What? They hung up the phone. They, like, like mm. I was a telemarketer. And I was like, but like, no, I'm like local. Like, I'm, this, I'm not like some big company. Like, right. I just, I'm looking for volunteers. I need help. I'm asking for your help. And so I said, hi, because they said hello. I said my little tiny, like, 20 second spiel and then click. And so the idiot that I was, I was like, we must have been disconnected. And so I called them back. <laughs> and so I was like, hey, this is Lucas Wilson. I just called you. I was trying to get, did, did you hear everything I said? And the lady goes, yes. Ooh. And then I was like, oh, oh I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Do you think? And she's like, let me connect you with somebody else. I'll send you to a voicemail. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sorry. Thank you. I just needed some volunteers. So, I mean, that was one of those like, wow what was that about what was yeah. that about so yeah i you know i've been treated like a telemarketer with the hang up don't call me sort of thing uh don't fax me don't email me all that stuff but it was just like okay well just cross them off the list and move on to the next yeah, person yeah because you don't know what's going on in their yeah, world no their idea. day she could be having a bad day no she doesn't idea. make a connection of who doesn't you matter are, and she's just like whatever doesn't matter it happens a lot people don't overthink whatever rejection you no. get you know sometimes it's just not working right now it could work later could they work just later don't get it yeah you also do a lot of other things besides just the performance. You mm -hmm. have products that you sell, right? Mm -hmm. And magic kits. How'd that come about? Uh, it was just uh, an idea that was suggested to me by another magician. I saw that he was selling products. And also just the fact that I know when I go to an event uh, afterwards, I sometimes grab a souvenir. Yeah. Right? It's, very, it's very common. You know, you go to Disney on Ice. You buy Mickey ears or you buy a light up stick or something or you buy a souvenir program. You go to like a Broadway show. You get one of the souvenir programs. You get a t-shirt. Uh, you go to a concert, you get the concert t-shirt. And I was like, let's see if we could sell some products after the show. Let's let's see what we get. And so we started experimenting with different products. And some products, not popular at all. Yeah. And what we found were the tricks that you could learn within two, three minutes yeah. were the products that were going to sell the best and the most visual and fun. And they felt like a toy and less like a magic trick. Right. Because kids would love that. And then they could go and perform because that's the feeling you get after a magic show. I know when I was a kid, that's the feeling I got. It's I wanted to go do magic. And so we're kind of giving kids that opportunity. If you want to become a magician or illusionist, here's your chance. Here's a great product. I know it works wonderful. There's many of the tricks that we sell. Well, all the tricks that we sell are tricks that I performed when I was like seven or eight years old. And so I know like that's the perfect age group to really start in on magic as well as, you know, six, seven, eight, right in there. And so we kind of... Uh, gave the people something that they might want and uh, have built and grown upon it. And that's a whole other business within itself. You know, Yeah, it helps to generate more revenue to sort of stabilize mm -hmm. your overall business, I guess. You're not just getting that fee for performing. Yeah, it was a, it's a different uh, revenue income. And then what we did is we, we also took it and we built um, you know, a program at the Children's Hospital in Hamilton where we go in and we give them the magic tricks that we're selling. So we try to take a, a portion of all those sales to go towards doing that. And so that you know, kids uh, that are suffering in the hospital can have a little something magical on their side. How important do you think that is, having some social responsibility? You know, as you, as a public figure, a performer, a businessman, how important is it to give back? Well, I'm very, very lucky in my job. Uh, so giving back is... I think very, very important. You know, I'm very blessed that this is what I do. This is, yeah. I get to have fun. I get to go out and perform magic and do tricks and all that. So giving back was very, very important to me because everyone's been so kind to give to me and I feel like I need to share with everyone else. And so uh, that's what kind of came up with the McMaster Children's Hospital and the gift of magic was going and giving to them 
and uh, somebody you know that's in a really tough position because nobody likes to be in the hospital and children even more so so i kind of came up with this idea i was like what if i went in performed a magic show and then taught them magic tricks yeah and uh that's just you know one of the little things that i've done to kind of uh give back to the community and then right here in norfolk county to really give back to the community i've hosted a big halloween event at my home in port dover where you know there's the there's light shows you know like you see on um YouTube, those viral videos where the houses sing and the lights change and then there's a lawn that's all interactive with uh, animatronics and pneumatics and things that jump out at you. It's a you know, family Halloween event that people can come to for free. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm having a blast doing this kind of stuff. And that, then that sort of comes from the stage technician yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, so I can build all that stuff. And then just this past year, I built a new display for the Simcoe Christmas Panorama. Yeah, I saw that. Congratulations. Thank you. Really cool. So, you yeah. know, put something together, you know, for that. And I'm just having a blast, really. I get to have, you know, a lot of fun doing this. So anytime I get to have fun and give back at the same time. Uh, it's it's amazing. It feels great. That's great. We talked a little bit about this, you know, uh, a lot of people just see, you know, you're 20 minutes on stage, 40 minutes on stage, maybe for a bigger show or whatever. But what's a day in the life look like? Like, uh, what do you do to fill in your day for that performance? What kind of stuff do you have to do? What kind of tasks? Uh, you know, it, you, you get up, you answer your emails. If there's yeah. some urgent emails that need to get out of the way, get up, try to get those done. And um, it's packing. It's packing and organizing and checklists <laughs> because there's all these illusions and these tiny little parts. And if you get to a venue or, or an event and you're missing, you know, a vital part of the trick that trick's no longer in the show and how are you going right. to fill that 10 minutes, right? And when they're expecting you to do a 30-minute performance and all of a sudden you come up with 20 minutes, they're not going to be happy because <laughs> no. uh, they've paid you for that. So it's uh, making sure you have your checklist, you, you got to get everything uh, loaded up and then uh, getting to a venue and sussing out where you're supposed to perform. Sometimes we got to completely rearrange their entire performance area or rearrange saying you wanted us to perform there. That's, that's not going to work. Yeah. Like, that's not what you told me. And then they have to rejig everything. We have to rejig everything, uh, get everything set up. You know, it takes us, you know, over an hour to get a show set up alone. And then, you know, get in the mindset of a performance, do the shows, uh, tear it all down, pack it all up properly, make sure you don't forget anything because that can <laughs> get get expensive, as, right? right? <laughs> you know, those tiny oh, little man. things that get left behind a door or something. And they're probably not cheap. Not cheap. The most, like... There's the most ridiculous things are the most expensive things in life, uh, when, in magic, rather. Uh, and then, I find that with a video, like I can buy tape that you can get at home hardware and it's like $3. But if I buy the same kind of tape in like a grip, like yeah. cinema store, it's like $40. $40, it's right? Video or film it's, now. Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, especially uh, with magic props, because there's certain magic props that look like normal everyday objects. Right. And those normal everyday objects are like, hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of dollars and so you're like please don't they've got one little thing engineered one little to thing underneath yeah, yeah. And to do the trick and uh yeah you and to anybody else it just looks like a, a normal object and they'll just toss it away or something so like you can't just get crazy and see a trick and go i want that i mean you have to think budgetary too how much money do you have to spend to get yeah because i mean the we've you know one illusion can cost up to twenty thousand dollars wow yeah like we have something in our show that we've we've invested twenty thousand dollars into, and then you have to pay royalties on top of that. That included all the royalties because okay. usually, <laughs> most of the time, knock on wood, uh, it's a one-time royalty. That's nice. Okay. That's nice. So that's that's the good news. Yep. But I mean, a royalty, you know, could be between three and five thousand dollars. Yeah. Just to be able to perform that trick. That's 
because yes. it's somebody else's, you know, idea, which is, you know, a lot of money when you add that into, you know, the cost of having it built and then having it shipped and then getting an ATA case on top of it. And, you know, most of the stuff's all from the U.S., so then you got to pay for right. shipping from the U.S., and then on top of that, you're paying for storage of it. And then once you get that new illusion, you got to pay to uh, get a rehearsal hall to rehearse it. Right. And then in a lot of cases, depending on how big or small the prop is, you got to pay for uh, the transportation of it from your storage unit to your rehearsal hall. And then you have to make sure that your rehearsal hall, well, the doors, they're, they're double doors without a, a, a bar in the middle. Or if there's a bar in the middle, you can remove it so you can get the stuff through. Right. Didn't even so think it's of all that stuff. All that stuff, yeah. right? And then paying, you know, Kelly to come down and rehearse it because, you know, taking time out of her schedule you have to you know, pay your assistants uh, to rehearse. Yeah. So there's all that. So uh, adding in a new trick is not just buying the trick and going, okay, we'll perform it in the show. Uh, and it's you know, spending months and months working on it and then putting it in the show. And then once you put it into the show, I say it takes a year of performing an illusion before you, before you really know what's going on. Really? So yeah, we'll put something in the show and we'll work on it for a year within the show. And that's when we work out all the little tiny kinks and the details and you, especially if you're using uh, audience members, like you're bringing kids up on the stage, you start to see what they do and you know, what's funny or what gets a little laugh or what they're most likely to do. Yeah. So then you add that in or you make sure you pause for that moment or you try to instigate that moment to happen with the kid sort of thing. Yeah. So you get that little laugh or the parents will go, oh, that's so funny. And they don't realize every single kid does that. I know, you know they think it's so spontaneous. It's, spontaneous, but it's, actually it's, it's never, every single show. kid, every <laughs> single kid does that uh, thing. But uh, yeah, it's building in those moments. So yeah, I say it yeah. takes a year of actually performing it. And that's after, you know, a couple months of rehearsing it. And then the last big thing that we purchased, we, we thought about it for about two years before we purchased it. Oh, really? It. Yeah to see if we could work it into the show because we try to build a routine before we spend the money on it and say, would we, would we be happy with this? What do we think, you know, how often could we perform this or what could we do with this? Wow. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot that goes into uh, putting something into the show. And it usually starts with seeing the product maybe in a lot of cases and then going, oh, wouldn't it be neat if we could do this or hearing a song. I got a lot of inspiration from music in a lot of cases. Like a lot of music in your shows. A, a lot, lot of music, of, yeah. a lot of so, upbeat, uh, newer music. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Coldplay in our show. So I say, you know, every time Coldplay puts out a new album, I'm like, well, there's another new 10 tricks that I go on the yeah, show, yeah, right? Yeah. Sort of thing. Uh, and so, yeah, that's uh, we find that inspiration or movies and such. There's a piece in the show right now that's based off Toy Story and um, toys coming alive. So the minute I saw that product, I was like, oh, this would be really cool. Like, this is kind of like toys coming to life from Toy Story. What's next for you? What are you working towards? Do you want to do Vegas? Do you want I mean, that's the big question that always, right? everyone always asks is, do you want to end up in Vegas? And uh, Vegas is obviously a dog-eat-dog world. Totally. Fun, fun fact, David Copperfield pays to rent the David Copperfield Theater. Yeah, he, he, he four walls his own theater, which is, you know, <laughs> very interesting that David Copperfield is not being paid to perform at the David Copperfield Theater. He's renting the David Copperfield Theater. Then his team's selling tickets to his show and that's how he's making the money and that's he's how, he, more money he's, that way. and that's the problem is you make more money selling yeah. your own tickets and yeah. so he rents his own theater which i think that's is fascinating funny. right yeah. so if david copperfield has to rent his own theater i don't want to even think about what i would have to do there <laughs> right get uh, to get in so uh the goal is just to keep on going i mean i got into magic because i loved performing magic and um that's all I've ever wanted to do is just perform magic. So I think the, the goal is to continue to perform magic and continue to get paid to perform magic and keep it uh, keep it going because, you know, this could dry up. I have no idea. Yeah. I think what I've discovered um, most of all throughout all of this is I love being my own boss. 
I yes. love being an entrepreneur. I like the business side of things. I like creating ideas or going, ooh, let's change this. Or what if we tried this marketing technique? Or if we did this or did that? I, I like running it. So... And I think you've done a good job from an, as an Thank outsider you. looking in, at your career and watching you because I'm always interested in especially the local people that get into performance art and that, yeah, you, you've, you've got a strong foundation here. You're Thank not you. uh, high in the sky dreaming of some wacky thing. You've got very realistic uh, <laughs> accomplishments and yet you keep growing and growing and growing and keeping your name out there. Uh, well done. Thank yeah. you very much. What advice would you have then? to someone who is thinking, maybe they're getting ready to go to college or university and they're thinking of studying uh, performance art or something like that, or maybe they, they are thinking of a career change, but they want to get into this performance. What tips or advice would you have for them? I just get out there and perform. Yeah. Just do anything and take every opportunity uh, to get out there and perform, because that's what I did. When I got out of college, I was taking everything and anything. Like if there was a gig, I'd take it, I'd do it, because it gave me uh, time to practice in front of an audience. Yes. And... Uh, start getting those feelings. What are the audience is liking? What are they not liking? And, and building a show. It's like with pilots, they need so much actual flight time before they're allowed to fly on their own. So, you know, we try to do that with routines is give them, you know, flight time. Yes. See how long they can, or see how many times we can perform it and see what people like about it. And it was, uh, all publicity was good publicity. So any TV show that came into town or uh, came close to, into town, I mean, Toronto sort of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, go and audition for it. And yeah. See what happens. You know, spend the time in the lines because I think, Canada's Got Talent, we waited six hours in line or something. Oh, man. And you're an established performer. Yeah. Really, at that point. So and... I was but I was like, let's, let's you know, give yeah. it a try. Because you never know what's going to happen in those situations. And if it's free, go you try it. What it. do you have to lose? Yeah. You know, if you can get the time off of work. And if in my case, this was my work. So I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do that day. Uh, it was just to go out there and perform as much as possible. Because uh, you only get better the more and more you perform. And that's something that we've seen is, you know, we watch clips from two years ago and we go, oh, God, is that how we did that? <laughs> and now we, you know, we watch it go, oh, that's so much better. So we can only imagine what we're going to look like in a few years, right? Like if we think, oh, we're, we're pretty good right now. We're going to watch ourselves in two years and go, oh, we were terrible. Uh, so even to this day, it's about just getting out there and performing as uh, much as possible and then not giving up. When you get those no's, yeah. don't take that personally. It's it's just business. And that's what this is, is it's it's not personal, it's business. If somebody doesn't like my performance style or like me or, oh, we don't like your look, we don't like the way you dress, you look stupid, blah, 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 oh, you're never going to be successful. Okay, well, that's your opinion. You don't like it. It's just business. That's Move right. on to the next person. I'm not going to go and, you know, cry for three hours or something about that. I'm just going to pick myself up, dust myself off and go, okay, so I'm not, I'm not for them. But there's somebody out there that I am for. And so it's for looking for those people. And if you do great work, people will come to you as well. Yeah. So it's about doing really, really good work and then getting recognized and then people will come to us and uh, yeah, sending out those emails, making those cold calls and just trying everything. Sage advice right there from <laughs> Lucas Wilson. Thank you so much. Now I end each show, I usually throw out a, a term, a, a some kind of lingo from the industry and uh, I usually do this with television or film mm -hmm. or I've had some writers on or something. I've got a term here, a magic term. Okay. I'm going to throw it out and see if you know the definition and you can give it back to me. It's, my, I guess, my way of humbling the guest. No, okay, like, okay, let's see. Oh, no. <laughs> because, like, nobody gets them. And I think I'm, I'm picking easy ones, okay. but um, some, none of my guests are getting them. Okay, here we go. Here's your term. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Confederate. Confederate. Yes. The term is confederate. Used in magic. Yes. Do you want me to use it in a sentence? Yes. Uh, 
Yeah, I used a confederate during that trick. I guess I'm saying that because oh, that's not a... I'm not okay, a magician, okay. but... Uh, a confederate. See, I feel like it's like a... It's like a... If this is a card trick term, I, I absolutely <laughs> no, I wouldn't do. Have, <laughs> I did not pull any card terms. Uh, confederate. I have no idea. Okay. You got me. Here's, Add me to the list. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you getting these? The internet. Oh, that's Here we you, go. That here's, darn internet. Here's the de- definition. Okay. A seeming audience member planted to act in a cooperative manner. Uh, so a plant, I guess, or what would see, you call well, them? We, we'd call that uh, a plant or a stooge. A stooge, right? I've heard stooge. that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's really that's what we. Uh, yeah, Confederate. I've never used. Right. I've used stooge. I've used plants. There you go. Well, maybe yeah, this go. is uh, now, American. Now, maybe I'll I'll use that uh, from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, Lucas, this has been fantastic. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Lucas Wilson. He stopped by the house uh, to have a little chat there, and I I really enjoyed myself. Yeah, I. You know, I keep on forgetting that an illusionist or a magician are performers or entertainers. Yeah. So listening to this, I, it hit me. Wow, he's very articulated. He speaks really well. And I realized, well, that's his job. He yeah. has to be like that. It's it's not just about the illusion and magic that he's bringing. It's also personality and how he uh, portrays himself and markets himself. Yeah, the show, the entertainment. It's a whole business. Yeah. And I think it was really important for people to listen to someone like him, I mean, especially us, there's no direct connection, I don't think, but there are parallels and there are indirect uh, connections in the fact that sometimes people like us mm-hmm. have to work with people like him yep. to help him produce his shows, his content, stuff like that. Because, you know, you, we, we, we tend to talk a lot about the tech, the crew, the production, but let's not forget, there are still the artists involved in a lot with what we do, the writers and the actors. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think. Uh, Personally, I feel like there's a lot of parallels. Uh, right from the business aspect, like you said, how they work with their employees, uh, how they master a trick or, or a, an illusion. It takes them a year, Yeah. right? I was like, wow, really? You spend this much money, you get an illusion, and you gotta work on it for a year and see how the audience reacts to it, which is very important as well. To me, it's kind of like what we provide, our skill set and everything on video, on set and everything, has to cater to the audience and also to the client that we're working with, right? We could be we could advise that a certain way of shooting something is really great. But if the client doesn't believe in it and they don't like it and they like a different style, at the end of the day it's a business. We still have to do what the client prefers. And yeah, also totally. and also like at the same time it's that's the juggling. We also have to understand how the audience is going to react because if the audience doesn't react well, then a client's going to come back and, hey, that didn't work out. And it's going to be on us as well, as well to certain extent. And it's extent. such a fine line because sometimes, you know, the audience is a great judge, but sometimes they're not even the ultimate judge. Sometimes they don't even know what they want. Like, you know, that famous time where Bob Dylan went electric and he was uh, rocking out and the audience did not know how to respond to him. There was, was a backbeat. He was too ahead of his and time. And they could not even clap with it. They were like, this is in the 50s or 60s or something, right? right? And it's like, okay, so sometimes audiences don't know. And there's a lot of times focus groups are wrong. But you definitely want to um, listen and, and take in what they're saying. Yeah, you got to respect the but, feedback, uh, right? But sometimes the audience doesn't know. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Just okay. saying. Just All saying. right. But anyways, what a great show. Uh, thanks again to Lucas for coming on. And again, this show is brought to you by the Video Twins. Uh, check us out. We've got lots of resources and hacks and tips over there. New course, Perfect Piece of Camera. Yep. Seven steps to the perfect piece of camera. Piece of camera. Piece, piece of camera. I could go for a piece of camera right now with my coffee. All right. Are we done? <laughs> I think we're done. All right. We'll see you next time on thanks How I listening. Got This Gig. <laughs>